Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a series called Transformed, Not Conformed. In this series, we want to learn to be transformed to the way of Jesus rather than conform to the patterns of this world. Thanks for joining us. Well, as you all know, today is New Year's Eve, which means when the clock strikes midnight tonight, or more technically this morning, we begin a brand new year. Many of you will hopefully be with family or friends celebrating that fact. Perhaps you'll even drop, watch the ball drop from Times Square in New York City. And I know it's early and I know it's the Sunday after Christmas, but help me out here. When that ball drops and we hit zero, what is the phrase that we are all going to say to one another? Go ahead and say it. That was actually better than I was expecting. Well done. Now, I was thinking about that phrase as as I was preparing for this message, and the word that strikes me there is that word, happy. This is a word that we are obsessed with as Americans. In fact, it's even written in our Declaration of Independence, right? We have the right to pursue happiness. All you have to do is watch television, and you see this. They say, if you buy that new car, you will be happy. They say if you take that vacation, you will be happy. They say that if you lose 10 pounds in 2018, guess what? You will be happy. The advertisers know, friends, that above all else, the one thing we want is to be happy. Now, as I've thought about that the last couple weeks, here's the question I want us to consider together this morning. If you use message notes, is it really possible to find happiness this new year? I mean, if that's the thing we all want, is it really possible to actually find happiness this new year? Well, according to the passage we're going to be looking at in the Bible, the answer is yes. But of course, you probably realize the way the Bible defines happiness is different than the way the world defines it. When we think of happiness as Americans, I think we often think of the absence of problems and pains, a life with no headaches or hassles. But in the Bible, when the word happy is used, usually it's the word blessed, but you can equally translate it as the word happy. What is meant is a sense of satisfaction, a sense of joy, a sense of completion, a sense of fulfillment. It's not a life without hassles and pains and problems. No, it means that even in the midst of a life full of hassles and pains and problems, we can experience fulfillment, satisfaction. We can live a life that makes a difference. And so as we start a new year tomorrow, my hope this morning is that we can truly learn today how to have a happy new year in the biblical sense. To learn how to do that, I want to invite you to take your Bible and turn it to Psalm chapter 1. If you're getting familiar with where things are in your Bible, you can find Psalm 1 somewhere around the middle of your Bible there. It's the very first chapter of the whole book of Psalms. If you don't have your own Bible, we always encourage you each week that we have some available for you somewhere underneath in those seats. We'd love for you to grab one of those, follow along with us. You can find Psalm 1 on page 431 in those seat racks. Now, as you're turning there, let me just explain to you the idea behind this series that we're starting today and continuing for the next five weeks into the new year. Every year, several of us go away and we pray and we discern, like, what do you want us to teach the church this year, Lord? And one of the things God laid on our hearts this year was a a burden, a burden for three ways that we as Christians are called to be different from the world around us. These burdens had to do with the ideas of busyness, 
relationships and finances. And so we're going to take six weeks, two weeks on each of those subjects, and talk about how we are called to live differently in those three areas. We're calling this series Transformed, Not Conformed, as a reference to Romans 12, 2, which I have on your notes there. Can we read that out loud together? It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what we're going after these six weeks. The idea of this series is we want to be transformed to the way of Jesus rather than to the patterns of this world specifically. I mean, we could have done a whole year on this, right? But specifically in the three areas of busyness, relationships, and finances. And so the first burden we're addressing today is this idea of busyness or maybe thinking of it more positively. How do I create healthy rhythms in my life this coming year? And just to make the connection here early for you, happiness, what we're going after, and busyness are often in direct conflict with one another. Do you believe that? Looking at the way most of us live, including myself, I'm not sure we do. I'm not sure we do, but hopefully these next two weeks will help us to see the need we have to slow down from the fast pace this world calls us into. Now, I want to share personally with you Psalm 1. What we're going to be looking at is one of the most significant passages in the whole Bible for me. It had a huge impact in my life in high school. I even have a painting framed in my office of this psalm because this, along with several other things that happened in my life in high school, gave me a visual picture for my life. Some of you know there's three ways basically that we learn. There are people who learn visually, there are people who learn by hearing, and there are people who learn by experiencing. So if you're a visual learner like I am, this one is for you today. This psalm gives us two incredible pictures about life, comparing and contrasting two ways of life, a righteous way to live and a wicked way to live. And so we're going to start by looking at these two pictures first. Let's look at the first one, which is found in verse 3. I promise we'll come back to verses 1 and 2. In fact, let's read it out loud together on our notes. The psalmist talking about the righteous person says in verse 3, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Do you have a picture of that? A tree planted by streams of water. Perhaps this is the picture you have in mind right now. That's a nice picture. But to really understand what the psalmist is painting for us here, you've got to understand the part of the world that he's living in. He's living in Israel, which is a very dry, dusty, deserty area. And so a tree planted by streams of water would not have been a very common sight. Listen, even when you watch the news today, you get an idea of what that region is like, right? It's dry. It's dusty, it's dead, and so maybe a better picture for us to consider is this. This tree right here is located in what is called a wadi, which is a riverbed in Israel that doesn't always have water running through it. And so listen, in order for this tree to flourish, in order for it to be happy, what does it need to have? You can answer me. Deep roots. A tree must have deep roots in order to flourish in an environment like this because there are going to be seasons that come in this tree's life that are dry, that are challenging, 
There will be storms that want to rip it apart, and yet we're told it can thrive, even in those circumstances. That's the picture. Psalm 1 gives of a righteous person. If you're following on your notes there, picture number one. A righteous person is like a flourishing tree with deep roots. No matter what comes their way, they can stand firm. They can bear fruit. Now we'll talk about how to dig those deep roots in a minute here, but can I ask, does that describe you? Are you able to flourish, to bear fruit, to grow even in dry and difficult seasons of your life. In verse 4, we're given a second picture. Look at what it says, if you have your Bible open. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Now, every once in a while, in the fall, during the harvest season, I'll go in our backyard, and I'll see this husk of corn just float down on our grass. You ever have that? It's light It goes along wherever the wind takes it. There's no substance to it at all. And that's the picture the psalmist gives us here in verse 4. It's the picture of a threshing floor on a farm. Now understand, this psalm was written well before combines and silos. And so what farmers would have to do is they would have to gather all of their grain and they would take them to these places called threshing floors. If you go to Israel, you can still see some of them today. There's one right there, that little circle. So these farmers would gather all the grain, they'd bring them to this threshing floor where they would let it dry, and oftentimes this would take a few days. And so literally the farmers would spend the night with their grain, guarding it. You can read about that in the book of Ruth with Boaz. But after the grain finally dried, they would take this giant rolling pin and they'd roll the grain in order to crush the grain out of the stalks. And after that happened, they would take a pitchfork and they'd throw the grain up in the air, just like this guy is doing here. And what would happen? The chaff would separate from the grain. And that is the picture the psalmist is painting right there of a wicked person. If you're following on your notes, picture number two here is a wicked person is like chaff. Now I know what you might be thinking because this is what I thought when I first read this in high school. Well, I'm glad I'm not like that. I'm not a wicked person. I haven't murdered anyone. I haven't committed any blatant crimes. I'm actually generally a pretty good person. Most of us who are church folk, when we read these words in the Bible, have a tendency, at least I do, to think that the psalmist is describing people here who are very, very evil, scary people, terrible people. But what if I told you that's not what the psalmist means when he uses this term wicked? Those people may be included in it, but when he uses the term wicked, what he's referring to, if you're following on your notes, are those who live without acknowledging God. That's it. Those who live without acknowledging God. Now, that may be blatant. Someone who shakes their fist at God, I'm not going to acknowledge you, I don't believe in you, but honestly, in the Psalms, it can also refer to someone who lives simply as a practical atheist. Practical atheists... They're good people. They're nice people. They pay their bills. They're good citizens. They may even say they believe in God, friends. They may even go to church. And yet, God really plays no part in their lives. What's scary is you can even fake it. You can look like a flourishing tree, but deep down there's no substance 
A wicked person is like chaff. When Peggy and I first moved here to Springfield almost 16 years ago now, we bought this small little house and the backyard was a total disaster. We wanted to create like a, a little garden area and a patio and so there was a lot of work to do. And in the backyard we had this tree, this ugly tree. And I knew it had to be removed in order for us to create this little garden of these flower bed, but I kept putting it off because you know how hard it is to remove a tree. So finally one day I got, up the, I got up the desire to go get rid of this tree. So I got my axe, I got my saw, I go into the backyard. I'm ready for a full eight-hour day of removing this tree. I take my axe, and I am not kidding you, I took one swing at that tree and it literally disintegrated. There was no substance at all to that tree. It looked like it was flourishing and growing, but on the inside, it was completely dead. That is what the psalmist is describing here. A person who may look like they have deep roots, but really, they're chaff. Now, here's what's hard. This is the challenge of today's verses here. According to the Bible, both here and in other places, friends, those are the two ways of life. I'd like other options. I don't know about you. But according to the Bible, there are two ways of life. You're either a flourishing tree or you are like chaff. This isn't just an Old Testament thing either. Jesus says at the end of time, he will divide all people into those two categories. So do you know which one you are? Do you have those deep roots that are allowing you to be transformed? Are you more styled in substance? Are you faking it? Now, to be honest, when I was first confronted with these two visual pictures in high school, I felt tension in my soul. You see, like many of you, I knew I had a relationship with Christ. That was certain. And I tried to live for him. I knew I wasn't like the chaff because Jesus had forgiven my wickedness. I could never earn that forgiveness. He simply gave it to me as a gift. Yet I didn't always feel like that tree planted by streams of water either. Can you relate to this? I didn't feel like I was really flourishing or growing in my relationship with Christ. And so I did what I hope many of you are asking right now. I asked that annoying question, that question two-year-olds love so much. Why? Why is this not a picture of me? Why am I not like this tree flourishing by streams of water? And then more importantly, I asked the question, well, how do I get that? How do I get that? Well, the psalmist tells us two ways we can become that flourishing tree. The first is found in verse 1, which says, Blessed is the one, there's that word happy, happy is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. You want a fulfilled life? You want a satisfied life? You want a happy life? You want a flourishing life like that tree? Okay, then the very first thing you and I need to do if you're falling on your notes is remove ungodly influences from our lives. Happy is the person who is not conformed to the ways of this world, but is transformed. This is pretty basic, right? But it's important nonetheless, though you may have a relationship with God, one of the reasons you may not be flourishing in that relationship is because there are some negative influences Negative influences always inhibit growth. So let me just use the picture we've been given here. If you were to plant a tree in your backyard this spring and you really wanted it to flourish, to grow, what would you do first? You'd prepare the soil. 
You dig up the ground, you'd remove the rocks and the weeds. You can't have any negative factors in the soil if you really want that tree to grow. And scripture says here is we have negative factors in our lives, negative influences. We need to make sure those things are removed if our desire truly is to be like that tree, flourishing, growing, happy. So what could some of those negative factors be? Whenever I talk to high school students, I always tell them the second most important decision you will ever make in your life, and this is true for us still today, is those you surround yourself with. Who are the people in your life? Are they leading you towards growth in Christ, or are they leading you away from that? But we make other decisions every single day. What kind of TV shows am I watching? What kind of music am I listening to? What kind of websites am I clicking on? What kind of Facebook posts am I reading or posting myself? Happiness and flourishing in Christ means I remove anything that is going to keep me from growing. Paul put it this way in Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers and sisters, read this with me out loud. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Jesus said it this way in the parable of the four soils. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear the word of God, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. Can I just sum that up? You got to have good soil if you want to grow. So what are the thorns that are choking out your growth? We all have some. I have some. We have to name them. And we have to give them to the Lord and we have to ask him to help us to remove them from our lives. I shared with you several times this fall, we read a book together, some of us in the church, called 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You this last summer. I wish I never read it. Because I realize that I'm reading it, even though my phone is an evil, it's a negative influence at times. It can control me. I can spend more time on that than I spend time with the Lord or with those in my life who are important to me. And so I want to ask God the question, at the very least, Lord, how do I handle this phone that you've given me in a way that I can grow those deep roots in Christ? Can I ask you, if you're on your notes, what negative influences are keeping me from flourishing? I have a feeling, because I know how God works, that as I've even been talking about this, there's some things that have come to your mind. So now let me ask you the harder question. Do you care enough to remove them? You know, I think the most piercing question Jesus ever asked in the Gospels, is what do you want? Oh, I mean, I know the right answer. But what do I really want? Because the answer to that question will determine whether I'm willing to remove the things in my life that are keeping me from growing. But getting rid of negative influences isn't enough to be a flourishing tree. To be a happy person, a blessed person, a flourishing person, it's necessary to remove those things, but we also need to add some things into our life. Specifically, let's read what verse 2 says we need to add, and I included the first part of verse 1 just to make the connection here for us. Would you read it? 
Happy is the person whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Again, I'll just keep the picture going for us here. If I went to my backyard this spring and I planted that tree and I spent all my time pulling out weeds and removing rocks, but I never watered the tree. I never let the tree see the sun. I never put fertilizer on the tree. Would that tree grow? No, it wouldn't grow. Similarly, if you're following on your notes, it is just as crucial for us to add spiritual, positive spiritual fertilizer to our daily schedule. Add positive spiritual fertilizer to our daily schedule. Specifically, what fertilizer does this psalm say we need to add in order to be happy, flourishing, growing people with deep roots? If you're on your notes, happiness comes. Here it is. You want to have a happy 2018? By meditating on the law of the Lord. Is that a letdown or what? This is the fertilizer I need to have a happy life with God. Jeff's going to talk about some of the other fertilizer we need next week. But for now, let me just define a few words here because this can seem like a letdown until we really understand it. First, let's talk about that word law. What do you think of when you hear the word law? Be honest. Rules, regulations, no fun, right? That's what I thought of. Got to stay in the boundaries. Got to do certain things. Got to live a certain way. But the word in Hebrew for law here is a word that was beautiful to the people of Israel. It's the word Torah. It was like honey to their lips. And Torah simply means, if you're on your notes, instruction and wisdom from God. It was a gift It was a gift God had given them, and we find it now in the Bible, if you're on your notes. Instruction and wisdom from God, which is found in the Bible. In other words, here's the good news. God has given us a book to know him, to know how to live for him, to know how to have a happy life in the biblical sense. And that book includes everything from Genesis to Revelation. The happy person learns to love this book so much. They meditate on it day and night, we're told. So let's talk about that second word there, meditate. What do you think of when you hear that? When I first read Psalm 1 in high school and I heard that, I'm like, whoa, this is like the opposite of what they've been teaching me in youth group. Meditation's bad. Meditation is emptying my mind. It's a new age thing. Well, the Bible was written well before the new age movement, friends. And there, the Bible is fine with this word meditation because in the biblical sense, meditation isn't emptying my mind. It's filling my mind with something. What do we fill our minds with? We fill it with the word of God. Now, meditating sounds a little intimidating at first, right? Like, well, that's something spiritual giants do. But when you break this word down, when you see the beautiful visual picture that he is painting for us here, it really comes alive. You see, when the psalmist is talking about meditating on God's word, the picture he's giving us is of a cow chewing its cud. Can you picture that? You drive by cows all the time, and what are they doing? They're just sitting there, chewing, chewing, chewing. Here's what it means to chew cud. A cow doesn't have enough enzymes to digest its food properly, so it has to chew food, swallow food, regurgitate food, chew food, swallow food, regurgitate food. You know how many times a cow does that? 
30,000 times. That's the picture we're given of meditation. If you're following on your notes there, meditation is slowing down to chew the cud of God's word. For me, it's this idea that the Bible, that book you have in your lap right there, it's more than just information to read. It is letting it sink deep within me. It is life. It is nourishment. It is my food. And meditating on it is one of the ways you fight against busyness in your lives. It's a way to say every single day, listen, I want to be transformed by the renewing of my mind, not conformed to the patterns of this world. And I will say right now, if you want to be a happy Christian, you can't have that without meditating on God's word. Now listen, if a cow doesn't chew its cud, what will happen to it? It'll become sick. It'll end up dying. That's the picture here. We've got to slow down. Chew on God's word to be flourishing, growing Christians, not just reading it, but really digesting it. Maybe not regurgitating it, but at least digesting it, right? So what does that look like? Well, let me get real practical with you for the rest of our time here this morning. And let me say right up front, here's my challenge to you as you begin your new year tomorrow. Here it is. Are you going to slow down enough next year to meditate on God's word every day? Will you create that rhythm in your life? Because that's where we're going right now. It's how we fight against the pattern of this world of busyness. It's how we dig those roots and become like that flourishing tree. So I'm going to offer you three ideas and then an invitation as we close this morning. And like I said, this is going to be more than just information. I'm going to ask you to engage as well. But the first thing you need to do, and this is going to sound funny, but just bear with me here, is to get a Bible you love to read. Get a Bible you love to read. I say this because the Bible is more than a book. It is God's word to you. It's his love letter to you. So get a Bible that you actually like to read. I mentioned how important this psalm was to me when I was in high school. I knew I wanted to dig those deep roots like that flourishing tree, but honestly, it wasn't until my youth pastor gave me a readable Bible that I actually began to fall in love with God's word. Now, I don't use that Bible anymore. You want to know why? It's like destroyed I've read it so much. I've ripped it up. I've highlighted it. There's coffee stains. There's water stains. And so this year, guess what I did? I bought myself a new Bible, and I even paid extra money for goatskin leather. You know why? Because it's not just a book to me. It's God's word to me. And I love it. And so I paid extra money to have a Bible that I love to read. Some of you haven't fallen in love with God's word yet. And I'll just say to you, maybe that's because you're reading a translation that's just too difficult. You know, there's a whole spectrum of translations. There's really literal ones and there's ones that are trying to be more helpful in modern day language. And so I always say to people, if you've just struggled with that, maybe a great place for you to start is the New Living Translation. Or we use at the church here, the NIV and the, the ESV is another great translation. Perhaps you just need a little guidance as you're reading the Bible. You remember those commercials? There's an app for that. Well, guess what? There's a Bible for that. The Life Application Study Bible, the Foundation Study Bible, they offer commentary on some of the different verses. So maybe you just get stuck when you read the Bible. You're like, I have no idea what this means. There's a Bible for that. 
Maybe, like you, like me, geography and maps and illustrations and visual pictures will help the Bible come more alive to you. Guess what? There's a Bible for that. Maybe you're a history lover and you want to understand the culture and the customs and the world where these words were actually written. Guess what? Say it with me. There's a Bible for that. We live in a day and age where we have so much available to us. Let's take advantage of it. Find a Bible that you love. Find a Bible that you can't wait to read that will help you to dig those deep roots in God's word. Now, beyond getting a Bible you love to read, I'd also encourage you, as you begin to start to read the, the God's word to you, that you pray and ask God to give you delight in it. Some people love to read. Some people don't like to read. But this is the word God has given us to know him. It's how he reveals himself to us. So maybe your confession today is simply, God, help me to love to read more so that I can love your word more. So get a Bible that you love. Two, commit to a plan that is sustainable for you. And let me just say, the most important word in that sentence is the word you. Some people read through the Bible every year. Some people read the Bible in 90 days. Some people are on the 30-year plan. There is no right or wrong way to read the Bible. Can I just say that again? There is no right or wrong way to read the Bible. God's not up in heaven going, oh, they made it through this year. Extra points. The point is not to read through the Bible. The point is to let the Bible begin to transform us and change us. So commit to a plan that you can follow this next year. Some of you got the bulletins, I hope, and you can see inside of that. One of the things we're doing together this year is we're inviting you. If you don't have a plan, if you don't know where to start, or if you just want to be encouraged by others, we're going to read through the New Testament together as a church this year. And so right here, it's all laid out for you. Week one, I read five days a week. You can add Saturday and Sunday if you'd like. But five days a week, I'm going to read one chapter of the New Testament with other brothers and sisters at Cherry Hills. I'll talk more about that in a minute. But the third thing I recommend is to learn to meditate. So what we've been talking about. How do I do that? Through journaling. Meditate through journaling. I've shared this before, and I understand it's not for everyone, but I'll say it again. The most revolutionary thing I have ever learned when it comes to meditating on God's word is this idea called SOAP. It's an acronym. Let me walk it through with you on the back of your notes. That's right, it's a two-sider Sunday. <laughs> Can you handle it? S stands for scripture, if you're filling in that blank. Each day, if you have a Bible reading plan, you are assigned a portion of Scripture. Whatever your plan is for, if you're going to join us, that just means reading one chapter of the New Testament five days a week. Now, the goal is not to meditate on that whole chapter of Scripture. The goal is, as I'm reading that chapter of Scripture, to be praying, God, what verse or verses do you most want me to see today? And then literally, after I read the chapter, you go back and you write out that verse or verses. This is the journaling part. You write it out word for word right next to that S. Then the O stands for observation. Observation. This is where you do some of that meditating we're talking about here. More move to reading it to meditating on it, chewing on it. Two things I do to do that. First, I seek to understand what the text is saying. This is where a good commentary or maybe that life application study Bible could come in helpful, right? 
I want to ask questions like, what's the historical setting? Who's the author? Who are they writing to? What is the author saying? Then I write down some of my observations, but I don't move on yet to A. I'm still an O here. Now, I want to linger a little bit. I'm going to read the verse more than once. I might read it 10 times. I'm chewing the cud of God's word. Why do they use this word here? Why is this word repeated so much? That's usually an indication it's important. I'm letting God's word move from here to here. From here to here. From my head into my heart. And I write out what I observe. Listen, I'll just say honestly to you, these are often the longest sections when I practice soap. And I'm okay with that. You know why? Because I'm creating a new rhythm. I'm slowing down. I'm trusting that as I meditate on God's word, I'm digging those roots to become like a flourishing tree. After O, I move on to A, which stands for application. At Cherry Hills, we believe God is always at work. Always. He's at work when you're reading his word. We believe that. So, Here's the question you ask. Is there a particular reason, Lord, that this verse is standing out to me this morning or this evening? Is there something you want me to see? And then you go, well, what difference would it make if I really believed this? What difference would it make if I actually lived this way and I write out any application that God may have for me? Here's what I sense you're saying to me today, Lord. And then finally, I move on to the P, which stands for prayer. And to me, this is really where meditating on God's word will bear the most fruit for you. Literally, I write out a prayer. I write out a prayer based on this verse, based on my observations, and based on my application. Some people say to me all the time, prayer, that's the hardest thing. Well, here's a great starting point to move away from me-centered prayers to God-centered prayers. You literally can pray scripture back to God. I'm telling you, you will be amazed at how this can move your prayer life into deeper ground. Now, maybe an example of this will help, so let me show you one I actually did. This is real. I do this. I was reading Psalm 73, and the verse that stood out to me in Psalm 73 was verse 25, so I wrote a little S, and I write Psalm 73, 25 out. Whom have I in heaven but you, and earth has nothing I desire besides you. That's the verse that stood out to me. I wrote it out. Then I started meditating. And here is the observation I made about Psalm 73, verse 25. This is a psalm of Asaph written at a time when he was struggling with his faith because in his experience, wicked were prospering and he wasn't, even though he was following the Lord. You ever felt that way? Yet he considers their end and is reminded that this life is not all there is. Now there's a reason that's standing out to me today. As I'm reading that, and so here was the application I wrote. This verse reminds me that when my biggest desire is for the Lord, my reward will be eternity with him, and I don't have to worry about all the evil and wickedness and unfairness around me. There is a day coming when he will make all things right. And then I wrote out a prayer based on this. Lord, forgive me for placing my desire on the things of the world and comparing what I have to others. Remind me that this world is not my home and help me to live today with eternity in mind. That's what he wanted me to see. Now it's your turn. I told you we're getting practical here, so on the back of your notes, and I know not all of you use notes, but if you don't, I'd encourage you to pull it out anyway now. I have the Lord's Prayer printed there, and I'm gonna give you five minutes, 
And you're going to try to practice soap. So read through the Lord's Prayer. Read it once. Read it twice. Maybe read it three times. And as you're reading, ask the Lord, which of these statements is most standing out to me? Trusting that God is at work, wanting you to see something. Write that out. And then go through the process of observation and application and prayer. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.